From coast to coast to coast, you are listening to Terra Informa. Have you ever thought about the animals living in our world, our non-human kin, and imagined what a lonely place it would be without them? My name is Elizabeth Dowdell. Curtis Blandy. Andrea Miller. And Skylar Lipman. We'll be your hosts for the next half hour of environmental news, stories, and ideas. Before we start our episode, we would like to acknowledge that we are situated on Treaty 6, the historic and present territory of Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, Dene, and many other First Peoples that live and gather here. This week, we're talking about a film that asks, what makes the natural world we share feel sacred and alive, and how can we protect it? I encourage our listeners to think about the responsibility each of us has to keep the lands we share alive. This week, we are having a Terra Informa Film Club discussion. I'll be your moderator while we review the 2019 film, The Whale and the Raven, directed by German documentarian and cultural anthropologist, Miriam Leutze. The film is a journey into British Columbia's Great Bear Rainforest, along its fjords and coastlines, and into the hearts and minds of whale researchers, Gitgat elders, and others who call this place home. The action focuses on the potential impacts of a proposed liquefied natural gas export plant and the tension between the promise of wealth and a second industrial boom for the town of Kitimat and the sacrifice of non-human kin that would surely follow. Much of the film features the work and reflections of whale researchers Herman Moita and Janie Ray, both concerned about the impacts increased tanker traffic will have on humpback and orca populations. Using underwater microphones and tracking orca and humpback whales through acoustics and fluke ID, the researchers make a compelling case for the protection of the Kitimat Fjord and the species that live and play there. Okay, so let's talk about the film. I feel like the filmmaker tried to give us sort of the story from a whale's perspective in a lot of ways. We see the people who are involved in this debate around this new LNG plant and we hear a little bit from them, but then she really like steps back and just like lets the space speak the way it might if you were immersed out in that natural environment. Did you guys get that feeling? Completely. We know that it's a film about resistance to an energy project, but the way that that's played out um, is so much different than we typically see resistance and protest. It was a very quiet way of going about it. Those daily activities, like the woman who's on the boat and she stops these people, they don't know who they are or if they're hunting or not, but the woman stops and says to the, the camera afterwards, really there's nothing we can do, but you can tell how you feel. And it's sort of that very daily aspect of, of standing up for what you believe in that was pretty cool to see in this film. Yeah, it was cool to see how they explored communication 
studying the ways that different pods of whales communicate with each other and the fact that they can even tell which is which is wild to me but even the people communicating with each other it was interesting to see the way it represented the resistance to the energy projects the way that Janie and Herman communicated or communicated with the chief to even get permission to do what they were doing out there okay so we get a sense that this is a, a film about resistance but not, I guess, in the way any of us were anticipating it to be. It was shown from more of an ally perspective. I mean, something you don't see that often. And it shouldn't necessarily be the only narrative that people see, but it's good for allies to know ways in which they can show their support for a movement. Yeah, I was uneasy at the start, I think, to see that a film like this was really centered on a settler allies experience, you know, the the perspective of two settler allies being Janie and Herman. But I think it actually was really nice to see at the end of the day how it challenges some of the played out narratives that we see in terms of Indigenous communities being on the sort of quote front lines, resisting these projects and taking a stand against these projects and you sort of wonder where allies are in that situation. Yeah, I can relate to that. I definitely, <laughs> when it first started, had this like, uh, okay, this like white European German dude is the star of our show today. Mm, <laughs> I don't know. I went from really liking that kelp forest to not being so sure now. I think it does complicate that narrative for sure. And that's something, you know, kind of confounding or unique or different to see. Let's talk about this idea of being respectful and what it means to be respectful if you're a researcher going into a community. You know, if we've got experiences there, you can we can talk about those. Or if we've got, you know, that tourist experience, wanting to go just appreciate the natural world somewhere. What were your thoughts around respect? I feel like respect's another sort of theme that runs throughout the film in a couple different ways. Do you guys want to talk about what you found or thought about that? I think especially what resonated for me was sort of the insights that we got into how Janie and Herman went about establishing that respectful and sort of reciprocal relationship with the community when starting out with their research initially and how they approached Chief Clifton and Helen, who really saw the value in the the work and saw that the work was being done elsewhere and they wanted to see it also being done in their community. And just sort of the idea about the importance of giving back and sharing, sharing what you've learned within the community. You know, I think Helen says something about, tell us about them, we know that they're special, which I thought was really beautifully said, sort of on the point of the community has their own knowledge of the whales, they know, they know the whales are special, but they're also sort of open to weaving in this natural science perspective and learning more about them in that way, which I thought was really nice. And it was really nice to see that respect that Helen and Janie had for Chief Clifton and the community there, where I feel like people in general are just so used to seeing such blatant disrespect for like natural wonders or nature in general. Feels nice in my heart to see that 
kind of respect be shown both ways rather than you know just hearing about another beautiful natural thing that's just decimated by people what really struck me about that scene that andrea was referring to where the community matriarch was saying yes we know these whales are special come tell us about them well we have we have our stories and we'd like to to learn more essentially i don't when i watched that my that scene my mind kind of went off on a tangent thinking about how many places in the world are seen as special because they're one of the last remaining pristine environments this idea that what an impact oil and other fossil fuels have on the canadian dollar and global economies as well and so putting those together this perception that we must keep developing or else and also looking at these very last remaining places that are so special because they're kind of the last pristine places brings a lot of questions to my mind concerning respect at some point we have to stop either before we've destroyed these last places either before the last whale has sung its last song or after the fact but at some point i think this exponential growth and development has to stop it's more a question for me of of how that happens is it because there's nothing more to develop or is it because we've learned to respect our surroundings and we choose to stop before it's too late but it does just seem crazy to me that there are some people who respect their land so much and then others who will stop at nothing for the sake of of economic development and natural gas might be better than oil as far as as carbon emissions are concerned but the tankers will have the same impact on whales there's not much difference there Yeah, there's such a disconnect between when we go in the film to Kitimat and hear from the mayor there and some of the community members there to see, I guess, the effect of energy development on that community and how people are really in support of it and really reliant on it for jobs. People talk about losing their jobs. And that transition was so jarring to me after, you know, we've spent so much time in the film out on the landscape. This is where the company, whatever, will be, not where it has been proposed or will be proposed. And I think the mayor even says it's not a question of if, but when, and hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah, not a film that paints the most optimistic picture. There are sort of these warmer, fuzzier feelings we get around this respect relationship. And then there's something of a feeling of, you know, okay, maybe this is a really magical place and it could be protected and there's, you know, people here who care. And then and then we do get that very jarring alternative view, which is here's a town, people need money, they need jobs, this industry is coming. It's, you know, an unavoidable reality it's happening where 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 were you sort of left like did you did you feel like this film I said it wasn't optimistic but what were your thoughts about this film's take on inevitability of resource development 
Is there optimism? Are you pessimistic? Did it keep it complicated? Where did it, it fall for you? I think it kept it complicated for me. It really showed that, I mean, we all know this, but you know, the economy is always gonna trump anything, but it was nice to get the warm fuzzies from like, yeah, the respect of the land, the relationship, the fact that these clans have brought in these two European or, you know, settlers and made them one of their own to call them the whale and the raven and have them be a part of that community. So it was mixed feelings. Definitely not a lot of optimism. Yeah, I would say the same, Curtis. I think it was interesting to see this as sort of a, I guess, a a macro look into how divisive this is. We see that divide in Kitimat. I think, Liz, you mentioned the presentation Janie is giving in Kitimat on whales and whale conservation. There's almost no one in the audience. And in the community, we see a real sort of class and income component that's tied to whether or not people support LNG development. And we see this in Alberta, that divide that runs so deep. And so that really left me a bit pessimistic because I think you're right, people do see it as inevitable and they know that this this boom is gonna come for their community and people are gonna get their jobs back. team orca or team humpback i think i'm team orca not for any reason in particular it might just be that years ago i saw a blackfish and i cried through a whole box of kleenex very moving thank you for sharing (laughs) (laughs) i think i'm team humpback the moment when janie's standing on that rock and she feels the vibration of the humpback singing in the water and she basically says she can feel that through her whole body. I, I just love the sound they make. And that was the the species that we saw when we were whale watching. He completely breached out of the water. His entire body was out of the water. It was nuts. Okay, if I had to base it solely on this movie, I would say Team Humpback. But I am dying to see an orca, so yeah, probably Team Orca. They're just so cool. Team Humpback. I think it's a pro move when you like had legs and decided no, I don't want these anymore and you go back to the water. Like, kudos. You know what you want, <laughs> team. You're, you know what you want, humpbacks. I'm all for you. You talk about, you know, this feeling of the inevitability of resource development and this picture playing out or this story playing out in Kitimat being something that's familiar here um, in Alberta, here on the prairies as well. And I guess, you know, this film is made for an international audience. It's a German filmmaker. The film's been, you know, shown at different major metropolitan, like the Vancouver Film Fest, Toronto Film Fest, a bunch of European film fests. 
there seems to be a, a popularity and a universality in recognizing that tension and feeling one way about it. And that way being that you don't want it to be inevitable, that you don't want to lose these places. Right. That's something that I don't know. What, what do you take away from that? Like this film exists. People care about this thing. You care about it now. You watch the movie. Kelp forests are great. Orcas have languages. No, that's a good point. Like recognizing that we don't want it to be inevitable. And yet a lot of us still seem to believe that it is inevitable. Fossil fuel industries and, and economic growth taking precedence over other values. And I was, I've been wondering recently how do we see an alternative? We aren't really presented with an alternative to, to economic values. We use economic values to judge our success, and we might not like that, but what are the alternatives? And so we haven't been presented with them, but maybe, I don't know, maybe it's possible to start working other values into just our, our cultural. Yeah. We got a lot of other measures that are not GDP we could use to define our success as a nation, as a province. I think it was really cool in the film to the animated portion of mm -hmm. it with the people who were kind of trespassers on this territory learning the story of the whales. I think that in Canada, we don't learn indigenous culture as settlers, you know, going to Protestant or Catholic or public schools. And I think that the first step in order to avoid this inevitable feeling would be to, you know, incorporate indigenous culture into settler life. The way that we can learn how to respect the land, not put so much value on money as a success story for ourselves and to just be able to take away a little bit more from life than, you know, retiring early. I really liked the section on decolonizing our food system and the, I think he's a PhD student who was sort of featured in that section was basically just talking about how the root of a lot of this is is disconnection from from our land from our landscape around us whether it's sort of in a conservation sense or it's our food system he basically said that these decisions that are being made by people in positions of power these are people who have no concept of the importance of this land the significance and that really seems to be the first step is is addressing that power dynamic and reconnecting to the land and putting people in positions of power who have that connection to the land and have had for generations. That speaker really stuck out to me because he draws out the connection so clearly between like if we're decolonizing our diet, then we're on the land. And if you're on the land following traditional teachings, then you are stewarding the land. If you're and he goes on like that. But it was just, he put it so clearly and so simply, and you just can't argue it. And, and yeah, points out that power differential. Like, so this all makes sense. The people being on the land, stewarding the land, knowing what's best and understanding the land. And then saying, but who's actually in charge? Awesome clip. What I thought was interesting about, okay, there's a lot of cool things about that scene. I agree. I thought it was very powerful. When I was reflecting on the film afterwards, I 
was thinking about allyship and wondering how I'm participate in decolonizing, you know, the diet. And decolonial work is something for settler people to do in a big way, you know, for me to do. It's something we talk about, you know, indigenous communities doing as well to be like reclaiming things like their traditional foods. But as a settler or as part of that colonial system, are there ways that you feel you can be an ally or are an ally? Or, you know, to borrow a phrase from a co-conspirator, are there ways that you can contribute to that decolonizing of diet across Turtle Island here? Or do you ever even think about it? Are you, are we just like rooted in our other systems? I personally don't put enough thought into my diet. I know how to cook good food. I'm confident in my skills as a chef. I don't consider enough where my food is coming from. And I think that there are ways to get healthy, well-rounded, you know, normal diet that I'm used to now in a way that would be much less, you know, colonial, but it would take a lot of learning and it would take a lot of research. And I think that there are definitely sources, but it's just something that we aren't really taught to think about. Sort of calling back to that education that we get where we're not taught stories about land or respect in our in our education systems. We're not taught stories about our connection to, you know, I guess I get you get like the food guide, Canada's food guide in like grade four or whatever. But I mean, that's just bought by a bunch of food lobbies anyways. Um, we don't really learn about our food and our land connection. I think when when I am sort of questioning the food system as I know it, it's much more sort of about calling into question this idea of industrial agriculture and feedlots and unethical practices and food that comes from thousands of miles away. You don't really think of that food system as having a history that is rooted in in colonialism, in you know, giving rations and forcing Indigenous people away from their foodways and food systems that have been in place for forever and ever. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. That's just something that we're not taught, but it's so plain to see when you think about it. And that was like a tactic of assimilation. You take away somebody's culture and how how they are raised in eating and cooking and preparing their food. And then they have to rely on whatever else there is, which is what you're providing. It's a cinematic film. It's a beautifully shot film, but I think it also instills that feeling of coldness and loneliness for sure. When the relationships are with non-human kin, You know, I made a point about the opening scene of the film and it's this, you get this wave, literal wave of audio, right? You're in like this kelp forest and it's really cool because it feels like you're there. Like I just imagine like the technology we have now with GoPro films and like being able to film in water and capture audio in water. And those are things that really come up like sound and water in this intro, but also like not the sounds of people so much. It's very much the sounds of nature, of the world around us. And yeah, it is kind of like a lonely vibe. And that shot in the beginning of the film where you talked about this acoustic wave was really intriguing. It really pulled me into the film. 
And for a while, I was just confused because I'm hearing these underwater sounds, but I'm seeing those megaphones up nailed to the trees and wondering who that's playing for because you don't see anyone around the, the speakers, at least at first. And also throughout the, the film, there's kind of this question of who's standing for the whales and more or less who's against them. So who those sounds are being played for. That just made me think, Skylar, of when we hear from um, Helen Clifton or Granny, she's a matriarch from the Killer Whale Clan, sort of speaking about the first time that she was able to hear those sounds or songs as she refers to them as. So just interesting to think about how that technology facilitated people in the community being able to hear those songs maybe for the first time. The technology piece I think is really interesting. This is a film in a lot of ways about conservation and they use technology in really innovative ways, I suppose, to do research on species, but also to bring the listener and the viewer and the outsider into these spaces through senses. Andrea, you talked about a feeling of kind of just like a chill and like a, was it like a cozy coldness or like a a kind of cold loneliness that this film brought you? I think it just made me think of my time spent on the West Coast and how there's really no place like, you know, the West Coast of BC that damp cold just permeates you and it's often hard to get warm. So I think it was that a bit of cold loneliness that I felt when watching it, especially with the sounds of whales sort of permeating through that very mournful sound that they can make. It's a very isolating life, I guess, for for Janie and for Herman. I was just going to say, like, is this a sad film? I didn't I anticipate say- that we would talk about how sad this film was, because I don't think it's that sad, but maybe it is. The whales seem to only sing in minor keys, so it does give it like a sad ambiance to the whole film. Yeah. Well, they just, they keep bringing back, so these very gray shots, and there's one sentence Janie says, and I don't know how many times she says lonely in the same sentence, so they do keep bringing back those themes, but at the same time, they keep talking about how incredibly social these animals are and comforting one another. So it's a cool contrast and maybe puts more focus on how social whales are when they're surrounded by this kind of lonely landscape. Is there a scene, is there a shot that really stood out to you? When you think of this film, what do you think of in one scene? Go. I mean, I don't want to sound cliche, but that last aerial shot, like the drone footage of the whales at the very end, like probably like a dozen orcas just swimming along, almost brought me to tears. That was a really beautiful shot. I think mine would be the scene where it was just Janie and the director on the boat and the whales came really close and... Janie Ray got all excited and started trying to get Miriam's attention, but it was just so quiet, aside from Janie talking, but it just really showed how tranquil and how peaceful that land is supposed to be. 
how easily a whale can sneak up on you. Not so innocent, are they? (laughs) (laughs) Any shot with the whale tail in it? I never, yeah, I never paid that much attention to the details of the whale's tail. That kelp forest, which is also my favorite scene of the film, it opens the entire movie and that kelp forest. Thanks for listening to our Terra Informa film review of The Whale and the Raven. You can watch the trailer for free on the National Film Board website, www.nfb.ca, or stream the full movie on Amazon Prime Video. That's all the time we have for this week. I've been your host, Elizabeth Dowdell. Thanks for listening. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM. All of our content is created by a team of volunteers. If you like what you heard, check out our website, Facebook, or follow us on Twitter. Catch you next week right here on Terra Informa.